Welcome to The Ziggler Show, where we inspire your true performance. Without inspiration, all the wisdom and strategies for success will go nowhere. This is where you get your fuel. Today, we have episode 436, and we have a guest who's going to deliver a skill and vehicle that we all desperately need. One Zig built his success on, and it's how to take any message you want to deliver and do it in a way that will increase your success by 10 times or more. I needed this show, and I think you'll agree that you do too. So let's do it. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You're what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mind. You can change what you are. You can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. You cannot become what you need to be by remaining what you are. If you can't take a huge step to begin with, take as big a step as you can, but take it now. That's the key. Take it now. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Today's a brand new day, and it's yours. This episode of The Ziggler Show is brought to you by Harry's Razors. The Razor Ziggler CEO, Tom Ziggler, and I use every morning. Harry's is so confident in the quality of their blades, they'll send you their popular free trial set, which comes with a Razor five-blade cartridge and shaving gel. Free when you sign up for a shave plan. Just pay the shipping. Plus, there's a special offer for fans of the show. Get a bottle of Harry's post-shave balm added to your order for free when you visit harrys.com and use the code Ziggler. Hey, everyone. I'm Kevin Miller, your host of The Ziggler Show. And today's show, again, is going to cover a tool for your success toolbox that few people really have and harness well, yet it's irrefutable that we all need it. And as you'll hear, it's a tool that we can all start using right away, right now. So our guest today is Paul Smith. He's the author of Sell With A Story. That's the book that I've extrapolated this show uh, from for today, uh, to which you know I'll say, if you want to effectively communicate anything to anyone, you've got to hear this message. When I did, I knew I had to bring it to you and to me as well. So Paul's goal for this show is to help us all tap into the power of storytelling to help us be a more effective and inspiring leader, salesperson, or parent. Uh, so, okay, re regarding Paul Smith, if you don't know him, he's one of the world's leading experts on organizational storytelling. He's a keynote speaker, storytelling coach, and author of the books, Sell With a Story, Parenting with a Story and the bestseller Lead with a Story. It's already in its eighth 
printing and available in six languages around the world. Paul's also a former consultant at Accenture and former executive and 20-year veteran of the Procter & Gamble company. As part of his research on the effectiveness of storytelling, listen to this, Paul has personally interviewed over 250 CEOs, executives, leaders, and salespeople in 25 countries documenting over 2,000 individual stories. Leveraging those stories and interviews, Paul identified the components of effective storytelling and developed templates and tools to apply them in practice. His work's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Inc. Magazine, Time, Forbes, The Washington Post, PR News, and Success Magazine, among others. So Paul delivers professional workshops and keynote addresses on effective storytelling for leaders and sales people. He's got huge companies that call that he calls clients. And uh, folks, that's why we brought him here today. So you can find him on social media, uh, at Twitter, on Facebook, at Lead With A Story. And that is his primary website, leadwithastory.com. Type in Lead With A Story and you can find him on Twitter and Facebook as well. All right, folks. Well, hey, if you're ready then, here I bring you my interview with Paul Smith. Well, Paul, the power of story has gotten a lot of press in recent years, and I've been very intrigued by it. But in reviewing your book, actually right off the bat, when I was first given the book, I must testify, you communicate the relevancy and the tangible application in a way that I, well, I just, I, the Ziegler audience needs to hear this. So thank you for being here with us today. Yeah, you're very welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm glad to hear that. Well, uh, I am I'm eager to dig in here. So I do want to start off with, you know, what is your story real quick, just to give people context that led you into uh, making your primary focus advocating the power of a story? Yeah, so I, I, I've i got a pretty typical uh, corporate career path for the first uh, 15 or 20 actually years of me being in the business world. Um, I worked at Arthur Anderson a, a, a bit. I got an MBA. I went to work for Procter & Gamble, spent 20 years there. And at some point later in that 15 to 20-year time frame, it finally kind of dawned on me that storytelling was an important skill that I needed to have if I really wanted to be successful, you know, when I grew up in the company or whatever. And um, it, it was one of those things that nobody really taught me how to do. They didn't have a class on that in my business school. They didn't teach me that when I joined the company. Um, you know, so once I finally realized it by, by just observing the leaders that I admired the most, then I kind of set out on my own learning journey. I, I ended up interviewing CEOs and executives and salespeople and scientists and teachers and all kinds of people all around the world. I think I'm up to about 300 people now. And I, I've ended up kind of just reverse engineering my way into what is it that makes for a great story. I was asking these people about the stories that they tell and when they tell them and things like that. And at some point along that journey, the, the idea hit me that, gosh, if I want to know this this badly, probably some other people do as well. And so my Paul Smith's personal learning journey became an idea for a book. And that's what led to the, the first book, uh, which then led to the second book and now now we're the third book. So it, it completely changed my career path because I three years ago, I left the company. So I, I'm a full time writer and speaker and um, consultant and trainer now. Uh, so I'm a long way from that uh, that corporate job that I had. But it all is because of that recognition of how important storytelling is. Well, and so you talk about, and we're going to get into what makes a great story. What intrigued me right off the bat, and I think really hooked me, was your aspect of why, why we even need a great story. And I, my own admission is, and I'll talk about it as we get into the interview, is that I tend to be a, I love bullet points. Mm -hmm. uh, not a PowerPoint guy, but I love bullet points. I love getting to the point and, and getting to meet. And I know <clears throat> of storytelling, but have kind of approached it as, Hey, some people have that gift. Some people don't. And in looking through reading your book, I felt like, uh, no, I'm just missing an essential skill. So as we get into that, let's start off then with you, if you would just define what a good story is specifically in regards to a sales story. Yeah. So, uh, so first of all, what, what is a story versus not a story? Cause I think, I think that word has begun to be used for a lot of purposes that it yeah. never was 15 or 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. You know, um, if, if you're preparing for a sales call and you're in a meeting and everybody's pulling all the data together and you're probably putting that PowerPoint presentation together, um, somebody might come in the room and say, all right, people, you know, what's our story going to be? 
Now, at that moment, that person really doesn't mean story the way I mean story. Yeah. Uh, you know, wh what they mean is probably what is the logical series of facts and data and arguments and, and, and bullet points that we're going to put together, probably in that PowerPoint presentation, that we're going to walk the prospect through such that by the end of the meeting, we got the best chance of, of making a sale. And, and that's fine. That's exactly what you need when you're preparing a sales pitch is you need a sales pitch. <laughs> so if, if you want to call that a story, that's fine. If that gives you more meaning in your work and helps you do your job, that's great. But, but my, you know, 11 year old kid would not call that a story, yeah. right? That would be a sales pitch. And, and nobody would have called that a story 20 years ago. They would have called it talking points or bullet points or presentation slides or just a sales pitch. So, so when I say a story, a sales story, I literally mean a story, which is simply a narrative about something that happened to somebody. So let me just give you an example. Um, you know, my wife and I last year were at an art fair and she was looking for a piece for our son's bathroom at home. And, uh, she gets to this one booth or both of us do get to this one booth of this, this underwater photographer, right? He's got all of his pictures on display there. And he does these mesmerizing pictures of coral reefs and sea turtles and all that kind of stuff. And she gets attached to this one picture that, that to me looked about as out of place as a pig in the ocean, because it, it literally was a pig in the ocean, right? It's this picture of this pig swimming in the ocean, which I thought was just the silliest thing. And then when I got a chance to ask the, the guy about it, I said, dude, <laughs> What's with the pig in the ocean? And that is when the magic started, right? He said, oh, yeah, it was. It was the craziest thing. He said, that picture was taken off the, off the beach of this uninhabited island in the Bahamas called Big Major K. And he said, apparently what happened was a few years ago, some local entrepreneur decided to raise a pig farm for bacon, I guess. And he bought all these pigs and he found this island he could keep them on for free. So, of course, he puts them out there for free. Well, he said, but if you look in the picture back behind the pig up off the beach, what do you notice growing up there? And, you know, and I look and I squinted and I said, I don't see much more than cactus up there. And he said, right, <laughs> that's a problem, right? Pigs don't, pigs don't eat cactus. So he said they, they weren't eating, so they weren't thriving. Fortunately, it turns out there was a local restaurant owner on a neighboring island who had been started boating his kitchen refuse every night over to Big Major K and dumping it a few dozen yards offshore. So pretty soon these hungry little pigs smell the food and they, they get brave enough and hungry enough, I guess, to to dog paddle their way out or pig paddle their way out, I guess, as the case may be, to, to get to this food, right? First one little pig, then two pigs, then three, then, you know, here it is three generations later, all the pigs on Big Major K can swim. He said, easiest picture I ever took. I just leaned out of the boat, stuck my camera in the water because these, these pigs swim right up to your boat because they think you're the guy from the restaurant going to give them some food. So, of course, by that time I got my credit card out and I'm like, we'll take it. Right, sold, uh, you know, and, and, and you know that two minutes earlier, that picture was worth nothing to me. But after hearing that story, now I had to have it, right? Because it was, Hey, I just, it's a fascinating story. And I love telling that story to anybody that comes to my house. And if you came to my house and went to the bathroom, I'd end up telling you that story. But it was also just this, you know, a, an animal psychology lesson, a history lesson, a geography lesson, all kind of rolled into one. So it was yeah. just, now I wasn't just buying a picture. I was buying a story. So literally the story turned the picture into something more valuable. So that is, that's just one example of, uh, of a kind of story that, that I would call a sales story. That is a, a story that adds value to the thing that you're, you're selling. And I think there are 24 other types of sales stories and that's just one, but you see the difference between a sales story or if he had said, well, Paul, there are three reasons why you got to buy this picture. One, it's the right size to fit in your kid's bathroom at home. Two, it's got the right color palette to fit with the towels that your wife has chosen. And three, it's the right price point for you today. Right. So don't you want to buy my product? Right. right. Those are reasons to buy something. Though That is a sales pitch. Those are bullet points. You know, like you said, you kind of wanted. And, and it's fine if you were to have told me that. But that wouldn't have sold me the picture. The story of Pig Island sold me the picture. Makes okay. sense. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting too, because when I first read that story, I've seen those pictures and I had no idea what the, that was the dumbest thing I've ever right. seen. Where did this come from? Me too. Thank you for giving me context there. Okay. So, and, and we're going to keep hitting on the details of a story and the, the application and taking action, but I'm still enthralled with the premise, Paul here, and in even my own, in my lifetime of being a businessman, a marketer, mm -hmm. 
and I missed a lot of this. So, so go with me here. I'm going to set this up. I mean, Bible readers, which we have a lot of them here in the Ziegler audience will know that uh, Jesus seldom gave a straight answer. You know, he was known for speaking in parables and made me think of Lord of the Rings where Gandalf, he's uh, Aragorn in there. There's even a line where he says, you speak in riddles and and then Ziegler fans know that he was a voracious storyteller. I mean, he hardly ever makes a point without prefacing it with a story, which we all understand, but I just had not grasped onto. So another premise here, I'm reading a book right now called Moonwalking with Einstein, and it's about memory. And it relates how in the past we relied on memory for the continuation of vital knowledge and, and history. Right. And today, though, we have little need for memorization because we've got, you know, it's the information age. We can look anything mm-hmm. up uh, that we want, but there's <clears throat> consequences to that, and, and it, which is another topic. So to story, though, uh, and I give that all as, as, as it got me thinking about as memory was established, you know, through story and because right. it engages our emotion, which you're talking about. But in a big picture, so my question is around this, in, in the cultural appetite, it seems that we have for, I mean, look at the books, not the diss them, but you know, the seven habits, the 10 mm-hmm. keys, the five steps, and, and we're growing away from storytelling. What are we missing? What are we losing out on? Uh, not only business-wise, but even individually as we've left behind to a degree storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you're, you're kind of asking, you know, why is it that storytelling is important and more effective? And there's probably dozens of reasons, but I'll, I'll kind of give you my, my top four, <laughs> if you Please, will. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So first of all, uh, and you mentioned emotion is, is it turns out human beings don't make, uh, rational, logical decisions as rationally or logically as we think. It turns out that we, we make, and this is what the cognitive science tells us that's been done in the last couple of decades is that we make subconscious, emotional, sometimes irrational decisions in one place in our brain, uh, in the limbic system, mm-hmm. and then justify those decisions logically and rationally after the fact, like a few microseconds later in the conscious mm-hmm. place in our brain. And so if you want to influence people's thinking, behavior, and decisions, it turns out you actually need to influence them more subconsciously and emotionally, that, or at least in addition to the rational, logical way. And and facts and logic and data are just not very good at that. Stories, however, are fabulous at it. In fact, you could call stories you know, an emotion delivery vehicle. They're great at that. So that's the, the, the main reason, I think. But stories also help us develop better relationships. You know, if you and I traded stories here for five minutes, personal stories, you know, we'd come away from this feeling like buddies. But if we traded our resumes, I wouldn't feel like you and I were any closer together than me and anybody else, right? So, so it's a great relationship builder. Um, it also can add the va- value to the product, kind of like the pig Island story I gave, but, but the, the fourth one, uh, to, to your point about how memories are formed, um, stories make facts easier to remember. In fact, there've been a number of studies that show that facts are between six and 22 times more likely to be remembered if they're embedded in a story than if they're just given to people in a list. And, and you don't have to believe in these studies cause I'm going to prove it to you in your audience right now. So, uh, you know, sitting there and anybody listening to this knows right now that by this time tomorrow, none of you are going to remember this list of four things that I'm giving you right now, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just a list of four reasons why storytelling is important. And you've probably already forgotten number three uh, and number two. Um, but all of you listening to this right now know that by this time tomorrow, you will remember the story of Pig Island, right? And next week and next month and a year from now, most of you listening to this would be able to tell the story of Pig Island and get most of the facts right. But none of you will remember this list of four things I'm giving you right now. So that's the power of storytelling as it relates to, to memory. And yes, the fact that it is, it is the information age and, and we can write things down and type them into a computer and look them up on the internet is helpful. But when you're sitting at your desk trying to make a, a decision and you don't have access to all those things or you make a split-second decision, it matters what's already in your memory, not just what's on your computer screen. And that's where stories help you out. Gosh, yeah. I mean, what you said earlier, I have, I'm definitely guilty of buying something because I bought into the story. It was a spontaneous purchase. Then I go home, get on the computer and search around to see if I really got a good deal. Uh, It's interesting. So on page, let's talk about selling on page 37 of the book. You write a motivational speaker and sales guru, Zig Ziglar reminded his audiences that sales isn't something you do to someone. It's something you do for someone. In other words, if you 
if you do your job properly, you're doing people a great service. And, and in fact, Ziegler went further to suggest salespeople think of themselves as an assistant buyer, helping buyers find what they need and what's best for them. So to help lead people to things that will benefit their lives, we must be able to influence them. And of course, you know, that was Zig's big statement that we are all mm-hmm. in sales because we all in our needs. And you talk about right. that, whether it's in our job or as a parent, we need to be able to mm-hmm. influence uh, folks and that sales. But to do this best, Paul, you're saying that there's absolutely no better, more powerful way than framing that effort, that message into a story. And it feels irrefutable after reading your book. A quick pause here, folks, to thank a proud supporter of today's episode, Harry's Razors, the company that converted me from an electric razor to theirs. They make an exceptional product at less cost than their competitors. And to be honest, they exemplify an image I want to be related to as well. Quality, authenticity, and ingenuity. Harry's has recently upgraded their razors again, but the price has stayed the same. It's not something businesses normally do. Harry's five-blade razors, the one I used this morning that gives me an ultra-close shave that my wife's a huge fan of, now includes a softer flex hinge for a more comfortable glide, a trimmer blade for hard-to-reach places, a lubricating strip, and a textured handle for more control when it's wet. But it's still just 2 bucks per blade compared to 4 or more that you'll pay at the store. So how can they do that? It's because they own the factory in Germany where they make the blades. Harry's can produce high-quality razors themselves and sell them online for half the price, shipped directly to your doorstep. Harry's is so confident in the quality of their blades, they'll send you their popular free trial set, which comes with a razor, five-blade cartridge, and shaving gel. Again, it's free when you sign up for a shave plan. You just pay the shipping. Plus, there's a special offer for fans of the show. You get a bottle of Harry's post-shave balm added to your order for free when you visit harrys.com and use the code Ziggler. Again, that's harrys.com and use the code Ziggler. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to think about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and air doctor is just the best. Air doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code Kevin. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com. Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Friends, I'm pretty candid about my lack of financial prowess. Money and numbers are fairly Greek to me, so I need a lot of guidance. One of my closest friends is a wildly successful wealth manager, and I'm working on some financial literacy and just continually seeking guidance. So I ask you to check out yahoofinance.com. Nobody knows it all, and Yahoo Finance is a, an incredible resource for the rookies like me or the seasoned investors. You know, before my dad passed away recently, Dave Ramsey and his wife, Sharon, flew down to visit. We all got to spend a day together. And I was at yahoofinance.com just now. I saw multiple news flashes from Dave and other people that you respect. And they're hitting so many of the hottest areas in finance today. So it's a place to get a snapshot of all aspects of your financial interests. And if you have them, your portfolios. I hadn't realized Yahoo Finance is the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. So for your comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. One more time. Yahoo Finance.com. 
Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top-tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Yeah, so and I, I, that's probably true what you just said. I, I might not state it quite that strongly only because that makes it to me sound a little bit like, gosh, storytelling you know, is all you need. If you're a great storyteller, you don't need anything else. And, and I've, of course, I don't think that's true. I, right. You definitely need facts and arguments and rational logic and clear communication and all. I'm not suggesting you should use storytelling and abandon everything else that you've been taught. I'm saying but, – but I do think that you'll be much more successful if you add it to what you're doing now. So if you've got a 30-minute sales call and you spend seven minutes of those 30 minutes – telling stories and 23 minutes doing what you would normally call your sales pitch. In fact, the whole thing can be your sales pitch, but seven minutes of it might be three different stories that last two to three minutes each that illustrate the different points that you're making. I think you'll be far more successful than if you've got 30 minutes of bullet points and nothing else. So that, so I I think it's an and thing, not an or thing. Okay. So from a tactical standpoint, if I am looking at here, I, cause I do this, I, I have uh, one of my businesses. I spend a good amount of time. I, I always am selling. Uh, I think my friends yeah. would say, but <laughs> in that is the, so if you're literally, you just said 30 minutes, you know, you got a sales presentation. Mm-hmm. Is it, would you generally lead with a story, capture the emotion and then get into the bullets just from a pure tactical standpoint? Um, maybe, but not necessarily. So okay. one of the things I found out in doing the research for this book is I ended up interviewing uh, professional salespeople and professional procurement people. So professional buyers okay. from dozens of companies around the world, like Hewlett Packard and Microsoft and Cushman and Wakefield and Giardelli chocolates and all kinds of companies. And, and I interviewed the, obviously the salespeople for obvious reasons, I'm writing a book on sales, but the buyers I was interviewing because I figure who better to tell you which sales stories work and which ones don't than the professional buyers who make those decisions, right? Mm-hmm. And and one of the things I learned is that is that good salespeople are telling stories, the kind of storytelling I'm talking about, throughout the entire sales process. So everywhere from as early as the moment they meet a prospect to building rapport with the buyer to making the actual sales pitch itself to resolving objections, to negotiating price, to closing the sale, actual storytelling in the closing process, to even after the sale's been made. So like a loyalty building stories or, or customer service after the sale stories. So storytelling is happening at all those phases, not just that 30-minute that sales pitch on the phone or in the buyer's office. And even within that 30 minutes sales pitch in the buyer's office, the stories could be at multiple places. You might open with a particular story. Halfway through, you might have another story, and you might have another story at, at the close. So it doesn't uh, – storytelling is not just a an icebreaker, a thing to warm up the conversation with the buyer or get, get their attention. Yes, it can do that. But if that's all you're using storytelling for, you're really underutilizing uh, the technique because it really can be used at all those points of the sales process. Okay, well, this just occurred to me as we're sitting here talking, Paul, that they're one of the stories that has resonated with me over the years. So I'm a runner. I've been a lifetime athlete, but I really got into running, was having some problems, aches and pains, and somebody turned me onto the book called Born to Run, mm-hmm. uh, which is cited with uh, spawning the minimalist running uh, phenomenon. Yeah. And I'm one of the, I, I'm, I'm, the hook, line, and sinker got me. But the book itself, I've recommended the book so many times saying, you know what? Even if you don't buy into the whole thing, the story is killer. And I, and I literally yeah. had heard that they were, I don't know if it, they really are, but that they were turning it into a movie because it's an incredible 
uh, story. But ultimately, it's the reason why right now I have on a pair of $130 uh, <laughs> minimalist, uh, zero yeah. drop, casual leather shoes because I adopted that in the story. Yeah, yeah I could. T- I couldn't tell you the specifics, but man, I can tell you the stories that led me to feeling like right. feels irrefutable that we shouldn't be in these big heel shoes. Um, right. Yeah. Is, is that those ones with the little toes for the feet? Well, like, it looks like a socks or something. Those are the Vibram. Yeah. It, it, it's uh, it's kind of like, I mean, it's the same idea, but it, it's that there's not a whole lot there, you know, it protects you from the rocks and stuff like that, but there's zero drop that your heel, you know, and, and in, in, in a running format that you should be on your forefront. And, and they, they got me, they hooked me with the story of why do we have all these elite runners, especially in, in the modern world and the Western civilization, these elite runners who in their sixties can't run anymore. And yet they go down to these native areas in Mexico and these 90 year old guys either barefoot or on uh, sandals they made out of right. tires are still able to run. That sounds like a good story. And they did, they went there and man, it's helped spawn this whole movement. Yeah. So I'm thinking of that and thinking from a. And I'm going to put you on the spot from a consumer standpoint, from a goods and services, are there some primary companies out there, product services that you would say are doing a good job utilizing story to sell their products? Yeah, and there there are many. And and I in, in this book I'm trying to focus more on the stories that individual people tell as yeah. opposed to television commercials and marketing. So this is really okay. storytelling for salespeople, not for marketers and advertising executives. Yep. But the same principles I think hold. And if, if I had to pick a name out of the hat, I'd say um, Guinness Beer. If you watch Guinness Beer ads, most of them are stories and they're oh. just phenomenal stories. In fact, I use some of their ads in the training courses that I teach just to illustrate you know, a 30 second or a one minute story. But, because by the way, that's as long as these stories should be. You know, oh. If you're thinking of uh, 15 minute, 20 minute you know, epic stories that somebody would tell around a campfire – that is not the kind of storytelling I'm talking about. The, the average sales story that I documented in the book after interviewing all these people was two minutes, two minutes. That's it. They ranged from about 30 seconds to three or four minutes at the most. And, and the, the leadership stories that was from my, my first book, Lead with a Story, those averaged about four minutes and ranged from about three minutes up to six. And so, uh, so we're not talking about long stories here. Okay. Well, guys, that, that makes a big difference here. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask something on that, but I, but I want to look at the literal, this literal act of telling a story, framing our point in a story and reading your book. It feels that a main premise that you cite that again, resonated with me. And it's why I wanted to bring you to the audience here. Is it simply a, a skill, a tool that we should have in our toolbox? So it got me thinking when I was taught basic sales skill, I was uh, sales, because I was taught a lot of those specific skills, you know, things to, you know, don't talk about yourself, ask questions, mirror body language, uh, you know, do these things to build comfort and trust so that you can deliver your offering and in, in, in not manipulation. That's just removing those obstacles so we can get mm-hmm. to the rational consideration. And I felt like in the book here, in this message that you are saying that in essence, just like learning to waltz, uh, telling viable relatable stories at appropriate times is simply a necessary learned skill if we want to have the best chance at delivering our message. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I, I think it is uh, not only necessary, but it is a learnable skill. And the, the waltz that you gave, that's, that's a good example. You know, there's some people that seem to be natural born dancers or athletes or musicians or artists. And I'm, I'm none of the above, by the way. Mm-hmm. But if, if I wanted to learn to waltz, I, I could probably take some dance lessons for a few weeks or months and probably get decent at it. Sure. Now, nobody's ever going to pay to see me in Carnegie Hall dancing the waltz, right? But I could probably get decent enough at it. And I think storytelling is no different than that. There are some people who are natural born storytellers and some people who are not. If you're not one of them, it's okay. You can learn it, but you need to actually go about learning it, not just say, well, I'll just, I'll just practice more or I'll wing it more. You know, if you wanted to learn the waltz or learn to play the piano, would you just practice more? Well, what are you going to practice? You don't know how, right? So, so you need to study it like a serious skill. So read a book, take a class, whatever. And then once you understand the techniques, the right structure of a story, the right use of emotion in a story, how to use the element of surprise in a story, the character development, you know, then you can begin to practice. But the most important thing is, in this case is probably knowing what stories 
you need to tell. And that's why the first part of the book is a list of the 25 types of stories that salespeople need to be able to tell. And, and like I said, it goes from all the way from as early as meeting the buyer all the way through to closing the sale and service after the sale. There are 25 types of stories they need to learn. They need to have in their repertoire. Okay. So with that, and this is something we hit on because again, as we all know, Zig was, uh, sales was his profession, but in that aspect of everyone is in sales, as you said that statement right there, and you mentioned sales professionals, mm-hmm. uh, I would venture to say that you would, you would also cite that this is something that everybody needs, whether they think they're in sales or not, that kids need to know this kind of stuff, <laughs> because it's just, uh, would you say this is personal relationship skills? If you want to connect yeah. with other people, you need. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, the, of those stages of the sales process that I mentioned earlier, the one where storytelling is used the most is the building rapport, the rapport building with the buyer and great salespeople are telling stories like uh, that will explain why I do what I do for a living. Um, that will tell you, um, uh, about the founding of their company, uh, how they're different from their competitors, um, you know, uh, I'll tell you when I made a mistake story, which is a fascinating one that, that helps the buyer know that, look, if I ever make, if I ever mess up, you'll, you'll hear about it from me, not somebody else. Yeah. You know, I, I can't just tell you that I'll do that. But if I tell you a story about the last time I did that with my other customers, now you'll believe me. So that rapport building of course works, not just in sales, but in any type of a relationship building. And, and it works because human beings have a natural, um, trust of people they know until you give them a reason not to and a natural distrust of people they don't know. But if you tell them a story, then they all of a sudden feel like they know you. So it automatically moves you into the trust category, into that circle of trust, just somebody getting to know you. And it won't take you six to nine months to kind of earn it. And that is what I heard loud and clear in reading your book, Paul, is that that is an as- a primary aspect of trust, which again is why I was drawn to that mm-hmm. because I would say that that is a skill that I have in building rapport with people and connecting in, in sales. But I would say to whatever degree I've had success, I haven't had as much as I could because I am not utilizing this tool uh, consistently. And yes. folks, as we talk about the details here, leadwithastory.com. That's Paul's website. As I said in the intro, go there. You can subscribe, get involved with them, and also just buy the book. Buy the book. You're not going to get the full, as we're, we're giving you the reason why today, but you need to get the book and go through it as I have. Um, so, you know, in this, I do want to ask Paul, that this is not like you talked about. It doesn't mean that you have to be a storyteller that some people have that gift. Some people don't, but you do need to harness this because when I look at, and I was thinking about this in my personal life and my marriage and my, you know, with my kids, sometimes I think, Oh my gosh, we just tell me what the point is. We're just disseminating information. Just tell me what I need to do. I don't want to hear a story there that is it. Would you say that you're not saying everything you need, every piece of information you need to give has to be given within a story, but you would, if you want to influence somebody, if you want to move somebody, if you really want to relate that that's when it comes into play, it's not necessarily that you've got to now change your life and everything that comes out of your mouth has to start with a story. Before Paul answers that, I want to thank another supporter of today's episode, Salesforce. If you do marketing in your business, hopefully you realize that mass emails or general ad campaigns are not so effective anymore. Salesforce is here to help create a new path with your marketing and deliver the unique brand experiences your customers want. With Salesforce, marketers open doors between business units by sharing data to collaborate across marketing, sales, service, and commerce. Be smarter and more predictive with your marketing by making recommendations using collaborative data and solve concerns with service integration. Engage your customers on any device and channel in real time from social media to your connected products, gathering key insights into your customer and business relationships at every stage. Adjust campaigns as you go to drive leads and pipeline. Do all this and more while collecting data from every interaction to build a complete view of every customer and manage your marketing strategy from your desk or your phone. Be a customer trailblazer. Discover one connected platform for one connected customer experience with Salesforce, the customer success platform. Learn more at salesforce.com slash Ziggler. Again, that's salesforce.com slash Ziggler. Right. Yeah. I'm definitely not saying that, that everything has to be a story. In fact, if I had to put a number on it, I'd say 10 to 15% 
of the things that are coming out of your mouth should be in the form of a story. Hmm. The other, right. you know, 85, 90% ought to be what you, your normal conversational uh, type content. Um, you know, so, and, and, and you said uh, some people are like the, to the point people. I think we're all to the point people hmm. most of the time. You know, and for most types of conversations that you have. So, for example, if if, uh, if you were to ask me, hey, Paul, what time is our meeting starting this afternoon? And my answer was, hey, Kevin, you know, that reminds me of a story. So <laughs> right. it all started back. <laughs> right. Like, you're, what are you going to think? I'm nuts, right? Right. Now, the answer needs to be three o'clock or two o'clock or one o'clock or something like that. But if you ask me like you did, how did you get involved in storytelling? Well, you're asking me to tell you a story. Okay. Right? You're asking me, how did you? You're not asking, oh, uh, because I like it. Well, that's not a very satisfying answer. You're, you're looking for a story. So, uh, yes, it's not all the time. It's the minority of the time. But if you if you don't have that 15 to 20 percent, then uh, you're, you're not very interesting, I think, and probably not very effective because that 10 or 15 percent goes a long way to make you a more effective leader, a more effective salesperson, a more effective parent. And that's, again, what grabbed me because I immediately admitted in my mind, man, I'm missing that. If somebody were to ask me. You know, so Kevin, why have you been an almost lifetime vegetarian? I'm prone to go to the points, you know, well, here are the reasons, here's the benefits, yada, yada. And yet I have an absolute story and I think I'm, I'm missing it. And so to that degree, it's not even uh, learning a, you know, the, the, the specifics. I know the story. It, it, it goes through the points. Well, I'm going to hit some of them here that you laid out. Mm -hmm. It goes through the points. I'm just. I just, it wasn't a cognizant, uh, uh, thing at the forefront of my mind. So to that degree, it doesn't feel so daunting. It's just a habit. Yeah. No, that was me six or eight years ago. It okay. didn't occur to me that this was really important. Yeah. Goodness. Okay. Well, so in uh, one of my favorite books, Donald Miller's book, a million miles in a thousand years, where he talks about the power of, of story of living a good story. And he says a good story is made up of a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it, which in so many words, you, you you're saying that. Mm -hmm. And I hear a similar thread here and you then cite the ingredients. So I pulled these right out of the book that the yep. story needs to encompass. It needs to include a time, a place, a character, an obstacle, and then a, a goal or event. And I thought, goodness, yeah. They, but again, even that is good to see because I'm sure there's a lot of times if I did share my vegetarian story where I would leave some of those out. And yet when you say that, I think, well, gosh, yeah, that's, that's, that's movie making 101. Uh, yeah. That's what resonates. So my, and my question, it made me think too, is this why – I've always thought about testimonies. Yeah, you got to use testimonials in your product or service because that's social proof. And yet what I'm thinking now is no testimony is it's a, it's a bunch of literal stories that we can relate to. And so I'm asking you, is, is that the power of testimony? Yeah, I think that is why testimonies are so powerful. M most of them. I mean, if your testimony is just, Hey, I use this product and it's great. Well, that's not very compelling and it's not a story, but if it's, Hey, I bought this product uh, uh, because my wife made me do it. I didn't want to, and I tried it, and I didn't use it right the first time. And then I, she told me how to use it, and then I used it, and oh my god, now I can't live without it. You know, and then and then I'll tell you all about my experience with it. Now you're telling a story, and yes, that is that resonates with people. In fact, that's one of the ty the 25 types of stories. I would call that a success story. Right. I mean, there's there are problem stories and success stories are two of the 25 types. And uh, the problem stories where you tell a story about somebody who had the problem that your product or service is designed to solve. And a success story is a problem story, but it's got tacked onto it. Somebody actually using your product and being happy <laughs> with the result. Right. And that essentially is what a testimonial is. It's a problem story with a success at the end of it. Well, it's interesting because I was just in Vail, Colorado with my wife. We were there for a, a few days and uh, we're sushi lovers. And so, of course, I get on uh, Yelp and I type in sushi and I'm looking for the reviews. I didn't think of it then, but now in, in talking, I think of it now. Gosh, it's a, it's a catalog of experiences because I literally saw right. the ones that were compelling were, hey, so it was Friday night. We were passing through town. We all wanted sushi. So we stopped at this place and this is what happened. And one of them says, you know, it was kind of small. They had a hibachi grill, so it was really loud. So I right away, man, I'm gone. I, I, don't, mm -hmm. I don't want that. I want quiet. I'm with my wife. I want romance. So we go to the next one and it talks about that and it gives a story. And man, I'm there. I mean, they got my business. It, it's uh, I just... Again, it's just one of those things that's out there and you're pointing to it, but I have never grasped onto it. 
Yeah. Well, now you're there, man. <laughs> I'm there. I'm there. Okay. So this is something that you, before doing the show, you mentioned that I had not pulled out. So I just, I want to, I don't want to forget it. And I wrote a note to myself here. Yeah. You said a great thing about a story is a surprise ending. So I'm, yeah. I'm blank on this one. Inform us here. Yeah. So that, that's one. So, uh, that list of, uh, the time, the place, the character, all that, that, those are simply the criteria for what is a story and what okay. is not a story. But if you want to make a story great, the, the most of the book talks about the, the the structure of a story and how do you get emotional elements into it and dialogue and details. And surprise is one of those elements that really makes a, a great story a great story. You know, you think about your favorite novels or movies that you love. They've got great surprise endings. And that's important in a business story or a leadership story or a sales story. Uh, for a particular reason, it's not just because it makes it more entertaining, but it literally helps the audience remember the lesson in the story better. And it's because that surprise ending releases a little bit of adrenaline in your system, which actually improves the memory making process in your brain. So there's a practical reason to put these in. And there's a simple way to do it, by the way, because you, you'll think that, well, none of my stories have surprise endings. Well, that's because you haven't designed them to have surprise endings. So here's how you do it. So I'll, I'll just, I'll give you an example. Uh, nine-year-old kid named James, he's in the kitchen with his mom and his mom's sister. So while mom and auntie are having tea at the kitchen table, James is watching the tea kettle boil at the, on the stove, and he's just fascinated with it, right? He's watching the steam come out the top, and uh, he's got a spoon. He's holding it up there and watching the steam condense on the spoon and run down in little drops and drip into a cup, and he's just watching that cycle go over and over and over, and he's just fascinated by it. And eventually, his mom just barks at him. She's like, James, would you like go do your homework or go outside and play or read a book or like do something? You're not just ashamed of yourself just wasting your time like this? Well, fortunately, young nine-year-old James was, I guess, undaunted by his mother's admonition because 20 years later, at the age of 29, and in the year 1765, James Watt reinvented the steam engine, uh, ushering in the Industrial Revolution that we, of course, all benefit from today, and all based on his fascination with steam that he developed as a nine-year-old kid. Okay? Now, first time I heard that story, I read it in a biography of, of James Watt, right? So it was no surprise to me that it was about James Watt because the whole book was about James Watt. But to you and anybody listening to this, it was a total surprise, unless they're a history buff, that that story was about James Watt, the inventor of the steam engine. And why was it a surprise? Because I didn't tell you his last name. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was literally, I just took a, a one vital piece of information, his last name, from the beginning of the story where it belongs, and I moved it to the end of the story, right? Mm -hmm. Presto, surprise ending. It's literally that simple, and you can do it with almost any story, and it just does, does wonders for the impact that the story can have. Okay, so immediately, I, what I first thought, it's Paul Harvey, and that is yeah, the, yeah, exactly. rest the rest of the, of the story. story. Absolutely. Yeah. Love He's it. He's the master of it. Okay, well, so here's a, a, a literal piece as I look at story and was thinking about this for myself and, and dwelling on this. How, not that there's a ratio, but is there anything that we should be aware of in regards to always using ourselves in the story, using our personal story? Is there better or worse as opposed to using, hey, I knew this guy or I, I know this story of or using that? Does it matter? Uh, yeah, I think it does matter. Uh, and, and here's why. What if every story I ever told you was about me? What would you think of me? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, it sounds a little narcissistic and I would have not gotten the pig story, uh, <laughs> verbatim. Well, no, it did have you in it, but the, the story in the story was, was about somebody... the pig and the guy taking yeah, a picture, right? Yeah. Not, yeah. It was a story within a story, but, yeah, yeah. um, you know, the story about James Watt, you know, that had nothing to do with me. I mean, right. but you know, if you know, people that are like that, that every, everything they talk about is about themselves and every story they tell is about themselves. Yeah. You don't want to be that person. So you definitely need to have, you need stories about yourself, of course, but you definitely need stories about other people to add to your repertoire or guess what? You're that guy and you don't want to be that guy. And even of the stories that are about you, in some of them, you need to be the villain, not the hero. You need to have made mistakes. It needs to be a self-deprecating story that people can learn a lesson from at your expense. 
right? Otherwise, again, you're that guy and you don't want to be that guy. So um, you need to have a whole repertoire of stories um, so that you're not just talking about yourself. When I was interested, because I was thinking about Zig stories, which I listen to every single week because I'm doing shows on them. And I was trying to think, how often is it a sh- is it a story about him or about someone else? And I would venture to say that there's more about other people, uh, stories of other people than himself. But he uses a good mix of all of them. Yeah, yeah, okay. and you should. Yeah, if you never talk about yourself, that would be almost as strange uh, because you are going to be your biggest source of stories, your yeah. life, right? And that's an appropriate place to draw stories from. Uh, but I, I bet you, uh, you're obviously more of an expert on Zig than I am, but I'll bet you a lot of his stories are about mistakes that he made, that he's telling you the story so that you'll learn from the mistake. I mm-hmm. can memorize, I, I can, yeah, a ton of them come to mind. You're absolutely right. I like yeah, a lot of them are successes too, I'm sure. But yeah, so you got to have other people's stories and your own failure stories. And I think that makes for a nice mix of stories in your repertoire. Interesting. Yeah. Cause when I hear that self-deprecating story, it seems to build more trust than if it's just, Hey, I did everything right every time. Exactly. I mean, that's the kind of person you want for a boss, for a mentor, for a coach is somebody who cares more about your uh, growth and development than they care about their own ego. Right. So in your own, so you, you're a podcaster, uh, as well. So you've got a podcast lead with a story. Um, and in that, so I'm crafting these, I do two a week. And so in your own, how do you, I mean, do you have any kind of, not to just make it formulaic totally, but do you always lead the intro or make sure that within that, I mean, you're talking about story, but do you actually utilize the crafting of a story within your shows? Yes, I do. And in fact, uh, I, I rarely talk about storytelling in my podcast. Now I've, I've got two podcasts right now, one on my first book, lead with a story, one on parenting with a story, which is my second book. And I'm starting a new podcast on sell with a story, which is this third book we're talking about today. And in none of those, uh, am I really talking about storytelling that that's what I do when I'm uh, either keynoting or teaching a training class or coaching executives on how to be better storytellers for my podcast. I literally just share one story each week. And then I either with the guests that I'm talking to, if it's their story or if it's just myself, if it's one of my stories, uh, I talk about what are the lessons that we can learn from this story. So it's either a bunch of leadership stories or a bunch of parenting stories or a bunch of sales stories. And what can we learn from it? Um, so I, I try and keep the talking about how to craft stories to the, the, the books that I write and the, the, the courses that I teach, uh, just because I want the podcast to be even more interesting and just, so it's literally one story a week and then what you've, what you learned from it. Okay. Well, I want to ask you, and I, and I mentioned this before the show and you said, okay, Hey, I'm not a scientist, but I'll do, I'll do my best. But you even mentioned, uh, it was on page 17. You even mentioned, uh, I think it was Chip Heath. So I'm fans. I'm a fan of the Heath brothers, uh, Chip and Dan Heath, who wrote the book. Let's see. The first one I think was made to stick. The one I've, yeah, the one I've, I've just been more than enthralled with is, uh, their book switch. And I actually yep. talked to them and said, Hey, I want to interview you guys. And they said, Hey, wait till we get this new book out. They got a new book coming out. And, uh, but switch was one of the most amazing. The, maybe the most amazing book on change, on personal mm-hmm. change. Yeah, and they I talked agree. about the, yeah, the elephant and the rider, the connecting the head with the heart and the emotions. And uh, that's what I was drawn to again in your book, Sell with a Story, that in going from uh, our propensity as a culture, I think a lot, and I, I would, again, I'll, I'll admit my own to go towards, Hey, here's the benefits of the product. Here's what the service will do for you. And and that's not connecting with the emotion. And yet there's story out there. Yeah. I'm going back to the corporate thing. I'm so surprised at how often I will see an ad and think they told me nothing about the product. They just gave me a compelling image. I got to admit now I want that product, but why do I want that? Cause I don't know anything about it. Um, you know, the, is that a lot of what we're talking about, though, is not just hitting the head, but making sure we're connecting with those emotions? Yeah. So it's so it's two things, I think. One is that, and we talked about that earlier with the, mm-hmm. the, the that the human brain makes subconscious emotional decisions and justifies those rationally in a different place in the brain later. That's, I think, the, the main reason. The second one, I think, is the, the memory impact that we talked about, not just about surprise endings, but uh, the, just the fact that stories make facts easier to remember. Mm. And that, by the way, is what uh, I, I think I'd referenced in the book, the, the experiment that, uh, that uh, 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 I think it was Chip did in his Stanford Business School class. He did an experiment where he had his students uh, each uh, give a presentation 
and he let them pick whatever topic they wanted and do it however they wanted, but they only had like five minutes or something each. And some of them just gave lists of, well, here's the three things I'm trying to tell you, and here's my facts. And some of them told stories, and some of them did both. And then he quizzed the whole class later on everybody's presentation to see what they remembered. And it turns out that almost, you know, without exception, the things that people remembered were either the stories or the facts that were embedded in the stories. And very few people remembered the facts that were just given out as a list. So, it, so that's just right. one of the experiments that, that uh, supports this claim that, that facts are more memorable if they're embedded in a story. Well, so with that, it reminded me of as a kid going to, I was actually just going along, tagging along with my dad, going to Dale Carnegie Mm -hmm. classes. And they did a lot on memory and they would, and I'm reading that again in this uh, Moonwalking with Einstein book Uh about memory and attaching it to, in a lot of senses, attaching it to a visual. And when I think, uh, maybe it's a personality style, but you know, when I think of story, everything, I'm a very visual guy. So Mm -hmm. stories are visuals in my head. And what well, is that? Or is that a reality? Is it, the story gives a visual that we can connect to? Yeah, that, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. In fact, because we all know that there are kind of three types of learners in the world, right? There are yeah, visual yeah. learners, audio learners, and kinesthetic learners, right? The people that learn by doing. Or, um, and it turns out that storytelling is really one of the few forms of communication that appeals to all three. Because the, the audio learners obviously learn from storytelling because they learn from listening. The visual learners learn from storytelling because as you're telling your story, they're seeing in their mind's eye the movie of the story that you're telling, right? But if you're just giving them facts and arguments and rational logic, there's no movie to watch because there's no there's nothing happening. So there's no visual. And the kinesthetic learners learn by by feeling. Uh, and and doing, and they are connecting with the emotional content of the story, and they'll never forget the way it made them feel. But again, rational logic and arguments and bullet points don't make you feel anything. So all those other forms of communication really only appeal to one of those types of lear- those three types of learners. But storytelling hits all three. Okay, so I'm just thinking as we talk here, uh, Paul, stuff is hitting me because. So I'm a writer. I mean, that is mm-hmm. where I flourish. That's where my quiet time is, my devotions. Mm-hmm. I'm in my my Bible with a journal. If I'm reading a book, reading your book, I had either I had my journal out because I'm making notes on it. I'm typing. I'm underlining things, very mm-hmm. visual. And uh, and yet the reason I'm here doing a podcast, which is audio, which I as a human being struggle to listen. And mm-hmm. to extrapolate, well, it's, I'm not an audio learner. It's very difficult for me. However, in the business world, we know that regardless of that visual audio kinesthetic propensity for any person, that the audio market has grown because people take less time to stop and read, but they will listen while mm-hmm. they are driving, working driving, out, yeah. yada, yada. So yeah, so here we have this audio market that's grown and what it speaks to me or hits me in the side of the head with is, oh my gosh, we need storytelling more than ever in this audio world to help people, especially like me, remember this stuff. Uh, it, it feels, yeah, it feels incredibly timely. Yeah, I, I think that's a good a good point. Um, and I, I think even back to the one of the first points you made that uh, our very first form of helping people remember things back before we had paper and pencil and writing had been invented was storytelling. And that, yeah. that's how history was handed down from generation to generation. I mean, just look at the word history, his story. That, that's what it is. That's how people could remember, um, you know, the tales of Gilgamesh or whatever it was because it was a fascinating story. If it was yeah. just a list of facts, nobody could remember it. Okay. All right. Well, I know we're going long here, but I got two more things I want to hit yeah. before, before we go. And, and folks, again, you're getting the highlights here. Go to leadwithastory.com. Get the book. This is, if you're a Ziegler listener, this is one that you need in your toolbox that you need to harness if you are going to get the success that you desire in whether, regardless of how you see your selling. I mean, you at, at, at the essence of what you do, you are trying to influence other people. This is a key point here. So uh, Paul, so in the book you talked about, you said one of the questions I ask in procurement professionals, so people, mm-hmm. so buyers was what kind of stories do you want to hear from salespeople among the most consistent answers were stories to help them understand. And you gave five pieces here. I'm going to read them real quick. Yeah. Number one, why and how your company was founded. Number two, who you are and what your values are. 
Number three, how and why the product you're selling was invented. Number four, stories about how the product is made. And number five, the level of integrity you can expect from you and your company. So as I read those a couple times, actually, what I was interested in is none of those questions were about the specifics or the performance of the product or the service itself, which is what we expect we're supposed to lead with. That's, that is not logical, Paul. Right. It's not. And that's why I'm, I'm so glad that I included buyers, professional mm-hmm. buyers in the research for this book, because I, I admittedly, I kind of did it on a lark at first. And then by the time I was done with the research, I'd convinced myself that I'd learn more from the professional buyers than I did the professional salespeople when writing a book about sales, which you know sounds crazy, but it makes some sense, right? Um, yeah. So, so, th- so several of those have are, are now in the list of the 25 types of stories that you really need to have in your repertoire as a salesperson. Now, that doesn't mean that the stories that you talked about about how the product works and mm-hmm. uh, who's supposed to use it that that's that ought to be part of your sales pitch, and usually it's just going to be the facts that you give. But the problem story that I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. and the success story. That's those are the two of the most important stories to have in your repertoire because that really is illustrating through story how your product, uh, who's your product designed for, why would they ever want to buy it, and what's going to be their experience if they do buy it. So that that's important too, but the buyers didn't ask for that kind of story, and I think the reason they didn't ask for it is because they know they're going to get that one anyway. Okay. They know you're in there to sell them, and you're going to tell them all those things. What what they they asked for these other stories because they don't get them from their salespeople enough. And that's why they told me, these are the stories I wish they were telling me that they're not. Gosh, it just, again, gets me just uh, that it's not intuitive. I mean, with sales, we inherently, if I was to tell my kids, you know, what do you think sales is? They would probably, well, hopefully they'll know better, but I would assume most (laughs) kids would say, well, it's telling people it's telling. And of course you would say, no, but the best part of selling, you should be listening for the most part, asking questions. That's not intuitive. And so what I, what I feel here is, you're talking about a principle, success principle that is not intuitive, which is why we need people like, thank you for uh, this message. And folks, again, why you need to study this and figure out how to engage with it in your work. Okay. So, so I, I love that. And I think it's on, I had it written down here. I think it's on page 33, somewhere around there where you actually give uh, some exercises in essence, some action mm-hmm. steps. And I want to, I want to end by hitting on those, uh, because you say, uh, okay. So number one, you say, so you need to invent, everybody needs to invent a, what I do simply story. Mm. Um, and then the next, the, the second one is develop a whom I've helped and how story. So tell us about those two pieces. If those are two pieces of toolbox, I mean, cause I, I'm going to do this. I, I didn't do it yet. Good. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Okay. So I need to invent a, what I do simply story because sometimes I'll, people ask, but I, I don't enjoy that one. So what do you do? Right. I, I, I do a lot of things. I, I don't know. Don't right. ask me that, it, it, but I should have a story. <laughs> I should have a story. So give me a little bit more on that. Yeah. So first of all, the, those are just the first two of the 25 types of stories you right. need to be able to tell. So obviously we're not going to have time to go through all right, 25, right. but those are the first two and the whole list is in the book. Um, but yeah, imagine you just meet somebody at a, I don't know, a conference or something and you're kind of exchanging business cards or pleasantries and they ask you what you do and you know, or, or, or you're asking them and they say, Oh, well, you know, I'm in charge of, uh, optimizing logistics from the, uh, core manufacturing center to the desired consumer experience or some, you know, some such mumbo jumbo. And you're like, I have no idea what that means. And then they go, all right, well, let's just, let's say you're in the chicken business, right? And have you ever gone to the store and got some chicken and gotten it home and it just smelled awful and it was red and rotten and you just, it, it fouled up the whole basket and you had to throw everything away. Like that happens, right? My job is to make sure that doesn't happen. And here's how I do it. I, you know, I meet with these people, I meet with these people and you just tell a, a short story about how, what it is that you do for a living with a concrete example. And that becomes your two-minute story or one-minute story or 30-second story about what you do for a living that doesn't involve quoting the title on your business card or saying a bunch mm-hmm. of industry buzzwords that nobody knows what it means, and then they can connect with you. So that that's how those stories kind of work. Um, but th- let me um, – well, go ahead with your next one then. Well, I, I, I got to tell you though on that one. I literally wrote notes out that, okay, I've got two primary businesses that I'm involved with today that I'm publicly, you know, uh, out here selling to a degree. Mm-hmm. I'm going to craft that for the, both of those, as well as one that goes above that to just, to just me. Those are ones I do not have. I, I have not scripted those. And, uh, 
I, you, you so I'm gonna, thank you. Well, and then the other one is that I can do again, probably I, I can do it easily for my self as I think about it, but then I want to do it again for each company is that second one. Again, I know this is one of 25, but I really like those is whom I've helped and how that speaks. And, and in the one uh, business that I'm involved with in the, in the health and wellness arena, that is what I tend to lead with is I tell the stories of other patients and mm. uh, seldom have to get into the specifics because all they want to know about is the result. Right. Yeah. Well, and that story can is, is an, uh, an opportunity for you to share the result of something that you've done for somebody in your professional capacity so they can see a concrete example of it. Um, I, I wanted to back up just real quick and mention yeah. you, you said listening is really a lot. A lot of sales is listening, not telling. And I think that's very true. And I learned that in spades and doing the research for this book. In fact, there's one whole chapter of the book uh, on how to get your buyers to tell you their stories yes. that you can listen to because you can get them to give you lists and say, well, here's my, my number one number or number one problem is this, you know, it's a warehouse sufficiency or something, but you still don't know what that means. But if they tell you a story, if you ask them a question, like, tell me about the moment where you realize that your biggest problem was your biggest problem. Then they're going to tell you a story. They'll say something like, oh, yeah, that would have been the uh, uh, the time our best customer called us in a panic on a Saturday morning because the, we'd shipped them the wrong product and then we couldn't find the right one in the warehouse and we looked all over for it and we had to do an express shipping of it and it barely got there on time and cost us a million dollars. And then when we kept looking, we found it right where it was supposed to be all along. And, you know, okay, now I know what your problem is. Now I can help you fix it, right? So there, there are techniques to not only for you to tell stories – but for you to get your buyers to tell you stories and not just give you lists and facts, and then you'll be much more armed, better armed to tell the right stories to them. Well, again, you've enthralled me with this. I mean, and, and folks, I feel like this is a primary tool that you need. It's a primary book that you have. And, and I have, I, I know that story, I, I've heard more about it in recent years, the need for it. And I'm, I'm wondering if, if that is because, you know, some, I'm sure there's many different reasons, but because we have become such an on the go culture, we're listening to things more than ever to a degree and for it to stick, we need to listen to story. And my gosh, our propensity to go after movies and, and TV shows and story, we long for story. And here you are helping us adapt it to our own lives for our own success. And folks, again, I got to testify. And it's the reason why Paul is on here that when I read the book, you just put it in a way that's, that's tangible, that's understandable. And it's highly compelling to where I felt like, I love the word irrefutable. Uh, so, <laughs> so you don't have to say that if you think ah, it's too strong. Right. I feel like that. I feel like you made it irrefutable. I have got to, that was my goal. Okay, good. Good. Well, folks, go to leading with a story again. Or, or lead with a story. I'm sorry. Yeah. Lead with a story. Yeah. And, and uh, sell with a story. Uh, right. Sell with a story. Uh, but leads. And by, speaking of that, I've got to get your one on kids. Uh, I don't have that. And I, I definitely on, on parenting, I, I mean. Um, but if you go to Twitter and Facebook, that's also where you find Paul is lead with a story. Paul, thank you for being here. I'm going to continue hitting you up here. We may need to have you on again and get further into this. Actually, we may need to do that on the parenting one, which I haven't I'd gotten into. To. I'm incredibly intrigued by that uh, because I want to have the best influence I can have with my children. Um, but thank you for being here. Uh, and again, uh, go subscribe there. Anything new coming up? I, I should have asked that beforehand Any, as far as uh, events or, or speaking or products that you're working on right now. Uh, well, I, uh, most of my work now when I'm not researching and writing books is, is teaching executives and salespeople how to be better storytellers. And so uh, now that I've, the, the book is out and the, the writing of it's all done, now I've, I've just developed a, a new training course based on that. So now I've, I've just rolled that out. And so now I'm working specifically with sales teams to help them add storytelling to their repertoire of, of uh, skill sets. So having a lot of fun with that. Okay, awesome. Well, folks, go to Lead with a Story. Paul, thank you again for your time today for sharing this message with us. We, uh, we need it. So, um, thank you very much. Well, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me on folks. Thanks for tuning in and inspiring your true performance with us. We will talk with you in the next Ziegler show. Mm -hmm.